Well, Brother Carl Mantle will come to us again. Uh, he ministers with Tom Henry of a Bible Baptist Church in Missouri. We had Brother Tom last year and Brother Carl this year with us, and it's been a delight to have his fellowship with us all this time, as well as now a second message from Brother Carl. So Brother Carl, if you would come. It's an incredible privilege to stand before you all. I want to thank the church. My wife and I, we want to thank the church for your generosity, for your graciousness, your kindness towards us during this time at this conference. It's been to us tremendous blessing to see God's people desiring to hear from God. At the same time, it is fearful to know that there are those who are still one step away from hell. The messages which have been given have spoken that Christ is better. What is it that may be better for you than Christ? What is it that you have to, must repent of and cry to God for mercy that you may see by his grace through the gift of the Holy Spirit that what you thought is better is only loss, that only Christ is all in all. The purpose of our life is to know him and to know him more fully and to live for him that we can give him honor and glory and not self. And so I pray that as we're going to look a little bit into this text before us that it will be a blessing to each one of us as we look for these better things. Better because they are final. They are eternal. There's nothing after that. Because God has designed it so. It is the fulfillment of his plan. For his own creation. And so God has ejected himself through that amazing work of becoming man, God incarnate, that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And so I want to urge those of you, especially as the pastor already has said, who are still lost, do not play with God. You've fallen yourselves. Bow your knees willingly before the Maker, before you will bow before Him because He said so. That every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because He's better. He's it. There's nothing like it. Live for him.
Give it all. Don't waste your time. Do it. Dear Lord, as I'm allowed to come before thy people once again, I pray that you give me the strength, the ability to speak your word clearly, effectively, that it will bring forth your purposes, O God. But foremost, to give you glory and honor. That your name be lifted up on high. And if it's pleasing to thy sight, that souls may be even saved. That those who have drifted, those who have thought they can take it easy, be stirred in their hearts again to draw closer to thee. So please forgive me of my own feebleness, my own weaknesses. Lord, you need to do it. You need to be in it. For if you're not, it will be no good. It will not be profitable. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Has the past already read that long passage? And as through this theme we have before us, Jesus Christ is better than Abel. And we just have heard from the previous speaker, David, concerning the faith. I just, again, for some of you who were not here, who just came, let me remind you what we had before us and still have before us in God's Word. We looked at, in the beginning, Jesus Christ is better. Secondly, we looked at Jesus Christ is better than angels. And I hope and pray that you don't become tired of hearing these repetitions. Because from my own experience, we are slow learners. We need to hear it over and over again. And the child of God loves to hear it over and over again. Jesus Christ is better than Moses. Jesus Christ a better rest than Joshua. And what a rest. Do you rest in Christ? Or do you rest in self? I hope and pray that God will grant you that rest in him. We also looked at Jesus Christ has a better, has a better high priesthood. Jesus Christ, a better salvation than normal Christianity. What a blessing it was to hear all these things to this point. But it didn't stop there. Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. 
Hallelujah. Because the old covenant, beloved, we all are hell-bound. Every one of us right in here is hell-bound. But because of that blessed new covenant, the covenant of grace, of saving grace, we are able to sit here and rejoice in the goodness of our God, in the faithfulness of our God, that he is better. Jesus Christ is a better tabernacle. Jesus Christ is a better sacrifice. A better country and something better for us. And then I would like to look at a little bit, if God permits, Jesus Christ is better than Abel. Chapter 12 of Hebrews builds on the example of the heroes of the of faith mentioned in chapter 11. The writer refers to these heroic examples I wrote down of faith which endured instances of persecution as a great cloud of witnesses. As these heroes of the faith endured suffering and hardship, it should inspire Christians to endure persecution. May it inspire us if we should experience or shall experience persecution. The best example is this, is Jesus himself who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself so that we may not grow weary and lose heart. Chapter 12 also points out that earthly hardship is not a sign of God's displeasure or abandonment of his people. He, as a loving father, corrects, as a, fa- as a loving father corrects a wayward child, we can expect ourselves when we shall fall short of God's will, He will discipline us as well. The, thr- the thrust of enduring hardship and Discipline comes back to the theme of the entire book of Hebrews, the superiority of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. After all they endured, after all they did, they still look to Christ. Because he is the one who began the good work in them. And is the faithful one to complete it to the end. End, which means that you and I cannot do it. It must be Him. The writer gives us a, dr- a drastic contrast concerning the old covenant Mount Sinai, 
which describes fear and trembling, doom and threat, no hope for sinful man. And the new covenant offering us grace, life, and joy, a covenant that cannot be broken. What a blessedness. Let's look at our text. We're going to look. It's going to be from verses 22 to verse 24. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I have three thoughts concerning these verses. The first one, I would like to just look at it is a great contrast. The second thought is a perfect creature. And the third one, blood with infinite power. Before I thought I might call it a covenant that cannot be shaken. But the blood, it's always in the blood. It's always in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, we wouldn't have a covenant. And it's not just any blood. It's the blood. A great contrast. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, the writer tells us. Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant, is not even mentioned here in verse 22. For the Israelites were not to stay there on Mount Sinai. Not to camp there forever. No, no. The verb, have come, ye are come, have come, here in this text, indicates that the readers of Hebrews have arrived at a permanent place, Mount Zion. In other words, the temporary conditions of the Old Covenant have ended. And the everlasting terms of the New Covenant now prevail everlastingly. When I thought about this again, this everlastingly, what came to mind was 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, 
He's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who had reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, and had given to us the ministry then of reconciliation to minister that Christ is better. That's that ministry of reconciliation. Christ is better. This verse continues in uh, 22 of 12 in Hebrew, and under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. The writer tells us here of God's own city, the new Jerusalem, which is the place where Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, dwells with an innumerable company of angels. And this is important because the child of God is longing for such things, to be with him who is better, who had ransomed him from this wretched world and his own wretched life. A perfect creature in verse 23. And forgive me that I just point just a few things here because I want to look a little bit at the last verse, a little bit more. But I hope and trust that it will be in a way to encourage those of us who are in Christ, but also to those who are seeking, those who are still lost, that they may, by the power of God, see that which only God can allow, which God gives to see, which God in his grace, when he opens the eyes of sinful man. Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just man made perfect. He is that perfect creature. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. The writer speaks of the ones who belong to the new covenant here. And their names already have been recorded in the book of life. That's what he's speaking here of. You can see that in Luke. 10.20, Philippians 4.3, Revelation 3.5, Revelation 13.8, and Revelations 20.12. We'll give you references to these truths. That the believers belong to the church on earth is evident from the clause, the spirit of just man made perfect. There's no other way except this way of God's word, of God's glorious gospel, of God's glorious truth. 
We know that they are still sinners, and their spirits have not yet been glorified to join the church in heaven because they are still here. We call ourselves sinners saved by grace. That's what we call ourselves. They are on earth. Their names, however, are written in heaven. That's something to look forward to, to know that your name is written in heaven. So it is better to have your name written in heaven than to have your name only written here on earth. If you only have the birth certificate of your first birth and not the second birth certificate of the being born again, your name will not be written in heaven. But if you have that new birth, your name will be written in heaven. That's the beauty of it. We also see the expression in this text, firstborn. The New Testament shows that Jesus is the firstborn. The privilege of the firstborn is that he is able to lay claim to the inheritance. Christ is therefore the heir, and we are co-heirs with him. Paul makes that clear in Romans 8.17, and if children... The if clause, if, don't forget the if clause, you must be a child of God. You must be born again. And if children, then heirs. That's the promise. If you're a child, you're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, We've seen those who have suffered. That we may be also glorified together. What a blessedness. We've, we, the believers, value our birthright, whereas Esau, as we have heard in our text, despised it. Those who look for that which is better value what they have in their saving grace. When God has shown mercy, he rejoices and lives for him. Whereas Esau despised it, but we know he longed after it later on, but with no prevail. We are first born because of Christ who makes us holy. And we who are made holy belonging to the same family. We belong to the same family as the rest of them. Those who have gone before us and those of us who are in Christ, we, all be, we are all one family. On one day, we all shall be together. That's a promise. That's something to look forward to because it is better. There's a lot of families here on earth, and there's a lot of chaos. Sin is expensive, isn't it? Sin is very expensive. But this family, 
is the glorious, the glorious family. In Hebrews 2.11 we read, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. It's a marvelous thing when God calls you brethren. <laughs> it's a marvelous, a marvelous thing to understand that you are an unworthy, wretched sinner. There's nothing about us. Do never think that there's anything in you that is attractive to God. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing. We heard it yesterday quite clearly concerning the depravity of men. The disgustingness of our nature. God hates it. But Christ. But God. In Christ, what a blessing. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Verse 12 in Hebrews 2. In the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. Hallelujah. And then we had some good singing and praising God and lifting our voices to our God who so generously and graciously saved us. But beloved, that salvation was not just something he just shook out of his elbow or arm. He gave it all. Everything. God did not hold back anything. He had to give it all. Or there would be no new covenant. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen. And lastly, blood with infinite power. Hebrews twelve twenty four. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. As the pastor read that passage in Genesis chapter 4. Aren't you glad that Christ's blood speaks better than Abel's? As much as Abel's blood still speaks. Because we understand he's a Abel. is a type of Christ in his death because he was murdered by his brother. And Christ was hung on the cross by his own people. That's why Abel is a type. Once more, the writer in our text, verse 24, reminds us that Jesus is the mediator of a new 
covenant. We have learned much, we have heard much concerning Jesus Christ is better, especially also the covenant. And here the writer again is reminding us that Jesus Christ, the mediator, that he is that one of a new covenant. And how do we know that? Because he uses the name Jesus. He's showing us God incarnate, the God-man. He uses the name Jesus to bring into focus the suffering, death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That's why he's doing that. In one sense, to lay out that mighty work of saving grace. That's what he's doing. At Mount Sinai, Moses served as mediator between God and man, and with respect to the covenant God made with his people. Moses was the mediator, but Mount Sinai represents that which is temporary. Moses died, and the first covenant eventually came to an end. That's what happened. God replaced it with a new covenant, as we know, as we have learned, which we read in Jeremiah 31. So verses 31 through 34, and in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through 12. And Jesus became the mediator of it. He is the mediator. Reading this epistle, we see the new covenant was relatively recent. And what I mean with that, it happened when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, which we can read in Matthew 26, 28. So when this epistle was written, that which Christ has done, that we have that new covenant, was quite recent. For us, we look back quite some time, some many a years, but at that time, as we read in Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Notice it says for many. It doesn't say for all. For many. So many complain about this verse that their God would not write all. Many preach it as it's like it would be all. But God does as he pleases and he tells us that in his holy word that it was Christ shed for which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hallelujah. Therefore, what a privilege if you're called by God. What a privilege when you humble yourself before God and cry out and say, you made me, save me. The creature should do that. If you truly believe that you are made in the image of God, that should be one of your calls if you're still lost in your trespasses and sins. If you think you come from a monkey, then I suppose you don't need to do that. Because then you are a lower creature. Because then you are not made in the image of God. But God God made man upright in his image. And we are 
the glory of his creation because we bear his image. We have the ability to think, we have the ability to see, we have the ability to speak, we have the ability to create things. Which gives us a great picture of the glory of God as he speaks and it is, it comes into existence. So he said that it happened when Jesus died on Calvary on Calvary's cross. In the complete Jewish Bible, it re- this verse here, Matthew 26, 28, reads this way, and I really appreciate that translation at times when I read certain things because it just reads so marvelous. Because English is my second language. <laughs> So I need to often refer to my mother tongue German when I read things, just to make sure I understand it correctly. And so here, for this is my blood which ratifies the new covenant, it reads. It ratifies the new covenant. My blood shed on behalf of many so that they may have their sins forgiven. Isn't it wonderful to have your sins forgiven? (laughs) Those are the better things, to have your sins forgiven. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? So, the writer of Hebrews in this text here is ministering in his love for the church and especially his love for Christ. To, to tell them not to look to Moses who mediated the old covenant but they need to look to Jesus remember persecution some of the Jews Christians converted Christians weren't sure no more because of the persecution they, there were maybe those who wanted to go back to the old system they said no no wait, wait, wait a second what's going on here in the old system, I don't have these kind of issues. No, they would have much greater issues. They could never be redeemed again. They will be lost for good. You cannot go back. You cannot go back. And by the way, the Lord is not an Indian giver either. Because he preserves his own, by his own power. As mediator of the new covenant, he calls the believers to joyful and thankful obedience. Now we have a reason to be joyful and thankful. Because we who are not deserving, we who never had anything like it than that new birth, have much reason to be joyful and thankful and obedient do his word as we understand it and comprehend it as it is laid out right before us in the scriptures, then to apply them in our lives to live for the glory of our God. He does not ask us to live in any other way than as we comprehend it and understand it. But in the same token, when we comprehend and understand, it is demanded of us to live accordingly. 
even with all the shortcomings that come with because of sin is still within us. That's the great marble that I'm a new creature in Christ. That these old things have passed away. Behold, all things became new, but sin is still there. And it want to rear up its ugly head continually and really cause us much trouble. Jesus removes the burden of guilt and cleanses the sinner's conscience. <laughs> Concerning conscience, I thought sometimes probably the worst thing for anybody to go to hell is the greatest torture is the conscience and then knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Having rejected such great salvation, having thought that these bells and whistles and flashes in this world are more important than God himself. Being dazzled by them. And in one sense today, the technology, as much as I enjoy it myself, I'm using it right here myself, it became literally an idol to so many because they, in the moment it beeps, in the moment it does something, they are right there. Get rid of it. I'm not saying you need to get rid of your technology. I'm just saying get rid of such behavior. Because it does not honor God. It dishonors Him. Because He will not tolerate anything before Him. It is Him and Him alone. We cannot serve two masters. None of us can. You will serve one and hate the other. And so, serve the better thing. (laughs) Jesus Christ is better. Serve Him. Don't serve your cell phone. You only make the companies rich. It's all you do, and the executives love their yachts and be out there doing that wonderful thing, laughing about the stupidity of the people with being so mesmerized by something that's going to be gone one day like it never existed. But it was the instrument to drive you to hell. Because you loved it more than to be admonished, to be encouraged, to be chastened by God's word. So be careful. Be careful. Again, just to remind us, Jesus removes the burden of guilt and cleanses the sinner's conscience. Jesus grants him the gift of eternal life. And he functions as intercessor in behalf of his people. And to the blood of sprinkling, that is, the blood of Christ, sprinkled blood, we know when Moses formally confirmed the first covenant of Sinai, he sprinkled blood on the altar, the scroll, the people, and even the tabernacle. We read that in Exodus 24, 6, 8, and of course in Hebrews 9, 17 through 22. 
Sprinkling, uh, sprinkled blood signifies forgiveness of sin. That's what it signifies. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood must be shed. Not just any blood. We know that the bulls and goats, we heard it all already through this wonderful conference, were not sufficient. There is only that good and final blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus inaugurated the new covenant by shedding his blood once for all at Calvary. Never to do it again. As we learned, the priests had to go back and continually be at the temple. Continually. Because the blood of bulls and goats and any other sacrifice that was in the law was not sufficient to do that which that once for all that better covenant did for us. Because of this sprinkled blood, believers enter the presence of God as forgiven sinners. Without it, we could not enter to be forgiven sinners. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 1.2 tells us, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the fathers or sanctification of the Spirit, under obedience and sprinkling, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. There are not going to be any multiplier besides this one. You may have multiplication in your bank account, but if it's not in the new man, they're not going to do nothing. What can, I give a, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? God is not against wealth. If you ever want to see a capitalist, if you ever want to meet somebody who is so wealthy that it cannot be measured, it is God himself. He owns it all. Period. It's all his. That sprinkle, that speak is better things than that of Abel. This is an interesting comparison we have here, for it is somewhat unique. Actually, it is somewhat unequal. Therefore, it is unique, but it is somewhat unequal. For the blood of Abel called for revenge, and God placed a curse upon Cain for killing his brother Abel. And we heard that. Already. We know in Hebrews 11:4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more ex- excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. But the blood of Christ removed the curse placed upon fallen man and effected reconciliation and peace between God and man. The infinite blood of Jesus Christ is needed. Nothing else can do it. In other words, Abel's blood is the blood of a martyr that evokes revenge. The blood of Jesus is the blood 
of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right in John 1.29. The writer's deliber deliberate contrast brings our attention to the significance of Jesus' blood that proclaims the gospel of redemption. That's what it does. The blood is proclaiming the gospel of redemption, beloved, and it is better. The gospel, the good news. The good news of what? Of deliverance. From what? From self, sin, and the righteous wrath of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the message of the blood? Listen carefully, we're coming to a close here. It tells me, look what I'm doing, I'm changing something here. Why do I change something? Because I'm putting myself in it because I'm redeemed by the blood. What does it tell me? That Jesus removed the curse, lifted the burden of guilt, and forgave my sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and that will be yours as well. It assures me that I have peace with God. Hallelujah. Before I ever knew that I was called by God, only the wrath of God was upon me. But of course, with later understanding from knowing before the foundation of the world, he already called me. But I didn't know that. I had to learn it through the scriptures. Peace with God, and that I have been set free to live a life of obedience. It tells me that God loves me so much that he had his son die for me. If you don't see yourself on that cross, that he died for your sins, there's no hope. He died for that vileness of what we have committed. Yes, I understand the covenant. Yes, I understand what God had done concerning that, and that Christ did all the Father required of him. But anyway, for only the blood of Jesus sets the sinner free. In other words, I have been delivered from the bondage of sin because of Jesus' blood, which speaks to me and brings me the message of salvation. And that is the thrust of the author in this important epistle of Hebrews, that Jesus Christ's blood is better than the than of Abel. In closing, verse 25, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that speaketh on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now 
he had promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heavens. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken remain. Christ is better, cannot be shaken. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ, and if you need to, ask for mercy. Cry out, God, have pity, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Save me. Save me, because you are better. Dear Lord, I thank Thee, and forgive me of my own weaknesses. Forgive me of my own infirmities. Oh, I pray, O oh Lord, do a mighty work in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.